Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. Verse 11, Genesis 14. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. A man who had escaped came and reported this to Abram, the Hebrew. Now, Abram was living near the great trees of Memory, the Amorite, the brother of Eschol and Anir, all whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them and he routed them, pursued them as far as Hobar, north of Damascus. Verse 16. He recovered all the goods and brought them back to, uh, to back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. After Abram returned and defeated Cataloma and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came up to meet him in the valley of uh, Shavir, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, uh, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High and he blessed Abram saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to the God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I have made Abram rich. I'll accept nothing but what my men have eaten and share that belongs to the men who went with me. And Anir, Eskol, and uh, Mamir, or Mir, uh, I'm, I'm struggling. Let them have their share. Chapter 15. Um, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one uh, with whom in, will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. The word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Uh, then he said this to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. And also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other 
The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. Verse 12, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. Uh, In a thick and dreadful darkness, rather, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go uh, to your ancestors in peace and be buried uh, at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back, for the sin of the Amorites is not yet reached to its full measure. And when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give uh, this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, the Kezanites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, Pezzarites, the Raphanites or similar, Vegemites are in there too, Uh, Amorites, Canaanites, Gerzerites and the Jezebites. This is the word of the Lord. Let's close in prayer. That was worth it, wasn't it? Just for that. Pick the pug. You need a window into our bedtime reading today. Pick the Pug, I think it's on the screen. Let me read it to you this morning. Pig was a pug. And I'm sorry to say, he was greedy and selfish in most every way. He lived in a flat with a sausage dog, Trevor. But when was he nice to him? I'll tell you, never. You got some great toys there, Trevor would say. But Pig would just grumble, they're mine. Go away. But it might be more fun, said Trevor to Pig, if we both played together. Well, Pig flipped his wig. No, they are mine, are you deaf? Only mine. You keep your paws off them, you sausage-shaped swine. I know what your game is. You want me to share, but I'll never do that. I won't, and I swear. And with that, he proceeded to gather his stuff and make a big pile with a huff, and a puff. And once he gathered them up in a pile, he held from the top with a satisfied smile. There, shouted Pig. Now you won't get my loot. It's mine, 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 mine. So why don't you scoot? But just at that moment, poor Trevor did see. The pile was wobbling. Oh dear me. Watch out, ouch, out up there. Good Trevor did cry. But the shame of it was, well, pigs cannot fly. <laughs> These days it's different, I'm happy to say. It's so very different in most every way. Yes, Pig, share, Pig, sorry, yes, Pig shares his toys now and Trevor's his friend. And they both play together while Pig's on the mend. <laughs> well, you know, I always laugh at that last page. We think it's quite amusing. You may have read Pig the Pug before, but there is many things that we can learn from Pig the Pug. 
And last week and continuing this week, we come to a point in our series where we come to what I would describe as a pig the pug moment. But before we get to that, let's backtrack a little. Last year, we started a series through the book of Genesis called Beginnings. And it started brilliantly. I was going to say it started with a bang, but there was no big bang. It started when God created the heavens and earth by his word. And that was uh, magnificent, that creation he did. And he got to the pinnacle of his creation. And the pinnacle of his creation was you and me, mankind. And that was wonderful for the first two chapters. But if you know the story, by chapter 3, it all falls apart. It only lasted those two chapters. And in the third chapter, we saw Adam and Eve um, sin against God. They decided to do things their own way. They decided to walk away from him to be independent. They wanted to be their own God. And so when they rebelled against God at that point in time into his creation that he had previously called very good, sin entered that creation. And for the first next 11 chapters that we explored last year, we saw sin enter that creation. We saw the downward spiral of mankind um, right through the flood and all the way through the reestablishment, finishing at the Tower of Babel, where God confused the languages of the people and scattered them in a, a great division. Two weeks ago, Pastor Dave relaunched the series, and he started with Genesis chapter 12, which is what we were up to, and it's a pivotal passage in the Old Testament and also in salvation history. Genesis chapter 12 is critically important because God outlays his vision to reverse the curse of sin and death, which commenced at the fall, and the thing I love about it is that he chooses to do it by plucking someone out of obscurity. He doesn't find a superstar or someone who's got it all together. God chooses an ordinary man called Abram and he chooses to do extraordinary things through him. And I think that's encouraging for all of us this morning. And so at the start of Genesis chapter 12, God makes these incredible promises to this man, Abram. He says, I want you to go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. Now, as the biblical narrative unfolds through the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see that the ultimate blessing of that promise comes through the person of Jesus Christ hundreds of years later. And so in a roundabout way, this really is the first of many gospel, one of the first gospel promises in Scripture. It will ultimately be Jesus who reverses the curse of sin as he dies on our cross, as we remembered around communion this morning, as he died on the cross for our sins. And it will only be Jesus who can reverse the curse of death by conquering death on the third day at his resurrection. And so when we read right to the end of the Bible in Genesis, uh, sorry, Revelation, at the very end, we read about what happens and what we see before the throne of God is people representing every tribe and every tongue and every nation and they're there, those ones that have been saved, bowing before the throne of God. And all of that started through this man, Abram. Now last week, Rowan did a great job. He preached his first message ever. Did he do a great job last week? Is he here today? He is here today. Well, it was a great message last week, mate. And if you didn't mention it was your first message, we wouldn't have known. So that's how good it was. So last week, he took us through chapter 13. And this was the start of our pig the pug moment. Abram had obediently left his country, but he only partially left his people. In other words, he took with him his nephew, Lot. Now, I think, you know, when Abram was asked to go, it's a huge step of faith. He has to leave basically everything. And I can imagine him being a little bit stressed out about that. And I can imagine him thinking, well, I'll go, but maybe I can take someone with me. 
And so he goes to Lot and he sort of says, well, why don't you come with me? It's kind of like an insurance policy. I will if you come. I'll go if you come as well. And so they shoot off. But it's not long before that partial obedience starts to cause issues. Lot's people and Abram's people start to quarrel. Abram said, let's not quarrel. Let's go our separate ways. And so if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And so basically Abram is giving his choice uh, giving Lot his choice of all of the land. Now, Lot um, looked around. I imagine he did a 360. He kind of looked around at all the land as far as he could see. And, and some of it behind him looked pretty average. But in one spot, he looked and he thought, that land looks pretty incredible. He looked over to the plain of the Jordan towards Zor. And he found out that it was well watered like the garden of the Lord. And so Lot chose for himself the best of the land. In other words, he looked around and thought, that land looks awesome, that land looks pretty average. It's kind of like he looked towards Posh Pakenham, then he looked towards Bogan Berwick, and he thought, I'm going to Pakenham. <laughs> Sorry to all the Berwick people today, but it's not too late to move to the promised land. And he said, I'll take the good stuff for myself. And he headed off towards Pak- Pakenham, or I can't remember what it was in the passage, but he headed off for the good stuff. And he said, I'll take that for me. Like Pig the Pug, he thought, mine, 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 mine. And Trevor the Sausage Dog, a.k.a. Abram, was willing to share. And he graciously gave Lot the choice of the land. Now, as I read through Genesis 14 and 15 again this week, there were three lessons that I learned in this passage that I want to share with us today from these chapters. And the first decision, or the first uh, lesson, uh, was simply this, that our decisions often determine our future. A coin has two sides. You might have a coin with you today and you'll look at it and one's got the queen and one's got some kangaroos on it and it's got two sides. And at the start of every AFL game, um, the two captains come together in the centre circle and they flip the coin. And as they flip the coin, one person yells out heads or tails. And whatever the coin lands on, they either win or lose the toss. And if they win the toss, they choose which way they want to kick. Usually they kick towards the wind in the first quarter to get an advantage, which is really no advantage at all in Etihad Stadium with the roof on. But that's what they do. They still choose a side. One wins and one loses. In this story, Abraham and Lot could represent two sides of a coin. And we can generally speaking win or lose in life depending on which side of the coin that we choose to live. As we look at Abraham's side of the coin, we find a man who acts in a way that is gracious and generous. And this is what God calls us to be as Christians, isn't it? Everything we have comes from him. And so he calls us to be generous and gracious in all that we do. But on the other side of the coin, you'll find Lot. And he's a man who acts in a way that we see is stingy and selfish. Lot was only living in the blessing of God because he was with Abram, the man that God had made the promises to. And even though everything he had had come from God through Abram, Even though he was only living in the blessing because of that, when he was given the choice, he still chose to take the best for himself. And so Abram was generous. Lot was selfish. Abram gave Lot the choice. And verse 11 of Genesis chapter 13 says, Lot chose for himself the best land. As we continue the story, we see that those two different decisions started to determine what their futures would look like. Abram continues on and he settles in Canaan and we read that he continued to be blessed in all that he did. But Lot settled uh, settled near Sodom. 
But the thing is, well, pigs cannot fly, and it's not long before Lot comes crashing back down to earth. Now, the biblical narrative really focuses on Abram. Um, but the truth is that there's a lot of stuff happening outside of him, and some of that is mentioned at the start of 14, chapter 14. All around Abram, there's a bunch of conflict going on. And the first few verses, um, as Ray mentioned before, there are a whole lot of really difficult names and different different um, difficult locations, and you'll find that they're really quite a mouthful. Um, this week in our MCG, uh, we went through these passages, and I was leading the study, and so I had the great privilege and honor of delegating the reading of those particular verses to other people in our group. And as they went around the circle, um, you could see them struggling with some of the names, and in fact, Josh Ham got to one of them, and he said, you've got it in front of you, I don't know, and he just continued on, he didn't even bother to try and read that particular name, and so some of those names were really difficult, and, and Ray alluded to the fact this morning that I um, allowed him not to read those today, um, I was thinking about it during the week, and I thought it would have been quite amusing to see Ray read those, those names, um, but he's quite busy at the academy at the moment, so I decided to do an Abram, and be gracious towards him, and so today he's living in the blessing of Luke, and he didn't have to read the names. <laughs> You can't preach it if you can't do it. So I'm just trying to do it for you today, Ray. So today we started at verse 11 of chapter 14, but I want to summarize what happened in the first 10 verses because there was significant conflict going on. And basically there's a battle going on between five kings and four kings. One of the kings was a guy called Ketalorma. I've been practicing that all week. It sounds like an Indian curry. And for 12 years, he'd been the king in charge of all the other kings. Um, But in the 13th year, five of those kings out of the nine, they decide to rebel against him and do their own thing. Now, in the next two years, Ketalorma keeps going on and conquering land and and winning great victories. But two years later, those five kings who rebelled come back and they decide to challenge Ketalorma. And so they come and they have this epic battle. Now, the end result is pretty much the same as what happened at the start. Ketalorma once again wins, and he defeats those rebelling kings, and he carries them off as loot. And part of that loot is Lot. Remember that this week. Part of that loot is Lot. And he's carried off. Now, here's the profound thing. That as I looked at the scripture this week, this is something that God showed me this week that I think is quite profound. When Lot first chose the land for himself, it says these words in Genesis chapter 13. Starting at verse 11. It says, So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Now I want you to remember verse 12. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. That word near is really, really pivotal. Verse 13. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sitting greatly against the Lord. And so in verse 12, Lot chooses the land, and he chooses to go and live near Sodom, where all this sin and wickedness is happening. Now, if we fast forward um, one whole chapter, chapter 14, to the same verse, verse 12. Now, let me read what it says. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom interesting, isn't it? He goes and he chooses a land and he settles near Sodom, but now he finds himself in Sodom and he finds himself in an incredible mess. I wonder how often we think that we can live near sin without living in sin. When it comes to sin, we often think that we can venture near, but we, because we're strong in our faith or whatever it may be, we can, we can sort of venture near, but we won't end up in because we're strong in our faith. And so we think to ourselves, well, I don't want to sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend, of which I have neither. You'll be happy to know. But we'll spend all of our time together and we'll just fool around a little bit. 
We think, I don't want to be a drug addict, but I'll go to wild parties with people who are doing drugs and maybe I'll just dabble a little bit. I don't want to lie, but I'll stretch the truth to suit my agenda. I want to live a life of purity, but I might just click on the link. I don't want to be dishonest, but I'll cheat on my taxes if it saves me a few dollars. I don't want to gossip, but I'll share prayer points with everyone I can. I don't want to be a person, I want to be a person of faith, but I'll keep defaulting to negativity. I don't want to live like the world, but I'll immerse myself in box sets of TV programs that present that way of living as a norm. I want to be a person who's grateful, but I'll keep grumbling. Who knows if you keep going near, you'll eventually end up in. If you keep playing near the edge of a cliff, it won't be long before you eventually slip over the edge because our decisions in so many ways determine our future. Lot chose to go near and eventually he ended up in. I wonder what areas of our lives are teetering near the edge. Because the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. When it comes to sexual immorality, he says to flee from. In the Greek word, it means literally to run the opposite direction with sheer terror. Run away in terror from sexual immorality. James chapter 1 verse 13 says these words. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I want you to notice the progression in this passage. It doesn't start with death. It starts with temptation. Temptation says, come closer. Come over here. You might enjoy this. This might be a good thing to do. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away. I want you to pick up the visual imagery here. When they're dragged away kicking and screaming, but what are they dragged away by? Well, they're dragged away by their own evil desire and they're enticed. Then temptation and desire come together in an awful union and they give birth to a little ugly baby called sin. And when sin starts to grow up and starts to mature, if it's unattended and unrepented of, it grows up and it eventually once again gives birth to another ugly little baby, even uglier than the first one, And that baby's called death. Now, I know some of you are thinking of your first two children that were born. You're thinking, that sounds right, little Johnny and little Bobby, and that sounds exactly sin and death. Sounds about right. I'm not talking about your firstborn and your secondborn, but I might be talking about your life because it's so easy to give in to temptation, to be enticed by our own evil desires, to enter from being near sin to into sin, which ultimately will lead to death. Our decisions in many ways determine our future. Where you're at and what you're doing in 10 years will be very much shaped in a profound way by what you're doing right now and the decisions you're making in your life right now. And so if I had to flip the coin today, and this was your life, which side would it land on? Would it stand heads? Very good. Tails, sorry. What would it land on? Would it land on wise, gracious decision-making? Or would it land on selfish negative, foolish decision-making? Would it lead you towards God or would it take you down an entirely different road? As a church leadership team, we don't make any major decisions in this church when it comes to vision or direction without the opportunity for prayer, for input and accountability from the entire team. And the reason we do that is because we know that the decisions we make now will determine the future of follow both positively 
and negatively. And with a team comes collective discernment and wisdom and prayer and therefore, in theory, a much wiser, more Christ-honouring outcome. As individuals, this is why community is so powerful. And I would encourage each of you to find wise people in this community and in your life who can, uh, you can seek counsel from, who you can follow their example and whose advice is godly because often they'll help you not to go near so that you don't eventually end up in. And so the first lesson that we can learn from Abram in Genesis chapter 14 is that decisions in many ways determine our future. The second lesson is that grace and forgiveness brings people back. Abram was very gracious to Lot twice in this passage. First of all, he was gracious by giving Lot the choice of land. And Lot, like Pig the Pug, chooses to selfishly stockpile the best for himself. And he ends up taking a fall and being captured by a foreign king in a giant mess. And so Abram, for the second time, is faced with a choice. And I wonder what you and I would do if we faced this same situation or one that was similar. You've taken your sport nephew with you. He's been blessed because of God's promise on your life. But now he's selfishly taken the best for himself and he's got himself into trouble. To be honest, it would be very hard to feel any sympathy for him at all. And maybe you've felt this way in relationships you're in. I'm sure each of us have had times where we've been hurt and disappointed and disrespected by people. And maybe you've thought, well, why should I help them now? They've brought this upon themselves. This relationship is all one way. I give, they don't give. I've given everything to them. They don't deserve my help. You had your chance, baby. You blew it. I'm sure we've all felt like that. Maybe Abram felt like that in this situation. But Abram steps into the breach and his grace and forgiveness towards Lot bring Lot back. Abram risked his life to save his nephew, who certainly did not deserve it. In verse 14 of chapter 14, it says, When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobar, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods. Now, this is supernatural, isn't it? We've got this King Ketalorma who's been on a, he's like a wrecking ball. He's defeated all the other kings. He's gathered everything up for himself. He's got a powerful empire going on. And God uses Abram and 318 trained men to go out in the middle of the night and they completely rout this powerful army. And they bring all of Lot's possessions back. That's incredible right there. That's supernatural provision. And they brought his, rel- his relative Lot back as well and his possessions together with the women and the other people. Now, I want you to notice something about Abram's forgiveness. I want you to notice that his forgiveness was proactive, that he actually made a decision to step out and forgive Lot. It was backed up with actions, not just words, and it was expressed towards someone who simply didn't deserve it. And what happened when he chose to, to step out and forgive Lot is that not only did he bring Lot back physically and all his possessions, but at the same time, he also brought him back relationally. Now, forgiveness is not something that's easy, but it's also something that's not optional as Christians. Last Christmas, you might remember a tragedy that was on the news. There was a, a young nine-year-old boy called Josiah Sisson, and he died in hospital two days after being hit by an alleged drunk driver on the evening of Christmas Day. They were out doing what families often do at Christmas time. They were out looking at Christmas lights with his family in the South Brisbane suburb of Springwood. 
And he was rushed to hospital but died two days later after being hit by this drunk driver and being taken off life support. Now Josiah's father was a guy called Carl Sisson. And Carl Sisson happened to be a pastor in Red Bank Plains. Now understandably in this situation the whole family was completely devastated. But they addressed the media through another pastor called Peter Field who acted as a spokesperson for the family in that time. And he said these words, he says, they've got a lot of support from the church friends and family, but nothing can replace your son. Sin is what caused this, said Pastor Field. We're all sinners and we all need Christ. In a media statement earlier that week, Pastor Field said, on behalf of Pastor Carl Sisson and the family, they simply want to say that they believe in the power of forgiveness. And as Christmas is about Jesus Christ being born and coming into the world to bring forgiveness, they believe in the power of forgiveness and they're now processing all of this and moving forward. Pastor Field thanked the hospital on behalf of the family and asked that their privacy be respected as they process the tragedy. And he said Josiah, their son, was being remembered as an incredibly happy, go-lucky, joyful little boy. It's incredibly powerful to issue a statement like that in the midst of such incredible, heartbreaking tragedy, such incredible injustice from somebody's stupidity. But the powerful thing was really that Carl, the pastor, made contact with that, uh, the little boy's dad made contact with that drunk driver, Adrian Murray. And he rang Adrian Murray and he invited him to come to church and to come to a prayer and thanksgiving meeting for their son. And you'll see a photo come up on the screen in a moment. And this is what happened in that meeting. It was an incredibly powerful night where forgiveness was displayed in what I can only describe as a supernatural way. And it's it's incredible, isn't it? When we can live this out, when we can actually step out and forgive people that have done wrong to us, it's incredible what sort of a witness that is to the community, to see how powerful that statement was, to see how powerful those actions were. It's just mind-boggling. I'm really embarrassed by many churches I see that that just spend all their time bickering and gossiping and arguing with one another and and not living out the gospel. But when we live out the gospel, when people look at a community like this and they see forgiveness at the centre of it, when they see Christ as the centre of all we do, let me tell you, that's life-changing. Because our forgiveness or our lack thereof will either shut people out or it will bring people in. So we need to ask ourselves the question, what sort of community do we want to be? One that shuts people out or one that brings people back in? This is the story of the prodigal son. It's so powerful, isn't it? A young son, a foolish son, decides he wants his uh, collection of the inheritance and he takes the whole lot and he shoots off and he uh, goes and does a whole lot of wild stuff and he blows the whole lot and he realises the mess that he's found himself in. And he comes back with his tail between his legs, slinking back towards the father's house, expecting to find a father with a big stick or, you know, sending lightning bolts towards his way. But what he finds is a father running towards him with open arms, not reluctantly, but lavishly, open arms, welcoming his son back in. This is the power of the gospel, isn't it? That you and I, find ourselves in a relationship with the Almighty God simply because He is a gracious God who's chosen to forgive us and He wants relationship with us so badly that He gave up His only Son, one and only Son, to die in our place. This is the Gospel. This is what makes Christianity such a powerful faith that we've been accepted, not because of anything we've done to deserve it, but because Christ did what we couldn't do for ourselves. He died in our place, a perfect man 
dying for a bunch of imperfect people. It's incredible, the gospel. And so we freely receive, but sometimes we don't so freely give. And God's calling us to be a group of people who not only receive grace, but distribute it. Freely we've received, freely we should give. And as we do, we show people that we're not showing them out, but we're welcoming them back as they come back to Jesus. It's a powerful thing. And so the second lesson is that grace and forgiveness brings people back. And the last lesson, and probably the most powerful one this morning, is simply this, that God is faithful. The start of chapter 15, at this point of the story, Abram has just won a great battle. God has done the miraculous. He's defeated the kings. He's rescued Lot. However, he's still no closer to the promise that God's made to him. He hasn't received the promised land. He still has no son as his heir. And chapter 15 starts in this context. And God comes to remind Abram that he hasn't forgotten the promise that he made. So if you look at verse 1, it says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. He said, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one you, who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him again. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He's probably in his 80s at this point in time. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Uh, This is back in those days, very little pollution, no pollution. You can look up at the skies. There would have been billions of stars on a clean night. And Abram goes out there and he looks up in the sky and God says, have a go at counting some of those. One, two, okay, I give up. There's just too many of them. And he said, well, what you see in the sky right now is what your descendants will be. This is an incredible promise to an 80-year-old man because things have stopped working. <laughs> things are not happening anymore. And he's thinking, this is impossible. And yet God comes and he says, no, 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 I'm a God who can do all things. I'm a God who's faithful to the promises I've made. And he says, what you see in the sky, so shall your offspring be. Now, I want you to look at verse 6, 7, and 8. Because if this was an episode of This Is Your Life, it could easily be the story of Luke Williams. If some music came on today and da-da-da, This Is Your Life, it came up on the screen and, and the host of This Is Your Life, I'm not sure who it is these days, but if they came up onto the stage and they said, Luke Williams, This Is Your Life, with a big uh, book, I'd probably faint thinking, oh no, what are they going to reveal here? But they'd come and say, This Is Your Life, and I reckon verses 6, 7, and 8 pretty much sum it up. Verse 6, Abram believed the Lord. And it was credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. Verse 8, but Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I'll gain possession of it? Abram believed a huge passage in the Bible and it was credited to him as righteousness. God reminded him of how he's been faithful over and over again in his life. Abram doubted. Luke believes Luke is reminded, Luke doubts. This is a pattern of people right throughout Scripture. And with the benefit of hindsight, we can look at them graciously and say, you idiots. But as we point at them, there's always three fingers pointing back. We're quick to criticize, but this is our lives, isn't it? I have days of great faith where I think, God, you are incredible. There's nothing impossible with you. I can move mountains. I can conquer armies. I can win victories simply because you are with me. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. 
Your arm is not too short. If God is for me, then who could possibly be against me? We can do all things. Let's step out in faith and trust God. And I have days like that. I have times when God reminds me of how faithful he has been. And I'm in awe. Lord, you have been so gracious and kind. You have come through in my life over and over again. You are Jehovah Jireh, my provider. You are the Lord God Almighty. You are just in all your ways. You are faithful to all your promises. But what if? But how? But when? But why? This is my life, and if we're honest, it's probably your life as well. We believe, God reminds, we doubt. Press repeat. He reminds Abram, and I love the words he uses to remind him. He says these words. He says, I am the Lord. No greater words of faith to speak over our lives, is it? That Jesus is the Lord. In your area of your finances, God says, I am the Lord. Trying for a baby with no success, God says, I am the Lord. Believing for a breakthrough, God says, I am the Lord. If you have faith for things that seem impossible, God says, I am the Lord. If you need a job, God says, I'm the Lord. If you're believing for a life partner, God says, I am the Lord. If you're wanting to see a loved one saved, God says, I am the Lord. That should build incredible faith, remembering who God is. So I want to encourage you today, don't forget who he is. But remind yourself today that he is the Lord. In the rest of the chapter, God reaffirms the promises he's made regarding Abram's leadership, his land, and his descendants. But he also reminds him in verse 1 that regardless of how nice all those things are, it's God himself who will be his great reward. In life, there are often prayers that go unanswered. And it's really difficult in those times. It can be heartbreaking. Sometimes we don't know why. There are times when we're desperate for things in life, but the answer is no or wait And those times can be very painful. If you're going through something like that this morning, I want to let you know that we're we're praying for you. And this morning, there's always people available at the end of the service that would like to pray with you and pray for you. You don't have to carry those things alone. But the truth is that whatever blessings we receive or don't receive in life, there is no greater reward or treasure than relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If we were to lose everything else in life, our loved ones, our possessions, our whatever, and we kept Jesus, we'd still be well ahead because he's the only reward that has a blessing attached to it that's eternal. If we go through life and there's pain and strife and struggle, even if it was for a 100 years, it would be worth it just to have a relationship with God. Our future in him is one that's guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. It's one free of lack, it's free of pain, it's free of boredom, it's free of suffering. That reward is guaranteed through a relationship with Jesus. It's not deserved. It's not earned. It's not strived for. When we trust in him, it can't be taken. It can't be lost. It can't be stolen. Why? Because he is the Lord and he's faithful. And so what lessons can we learn today? Well, the first one is don't be like pig the pug. Make decisions that are wise and generous. Lesson number two, be like Trevor the sausage dog because forgiveness brings people back. And the third one, most of all, remind yourself today that God is faithful. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the characters we find within it that do things really well and do things very poorly at different times. Lord, I thank you that none of the poor stuff is hidden, but we can learn from both the good and bad 
in the lives of people in the Bible who we often refer to as heroes of the faith, but the truth is they're just like us, ordinary people serving an extraordinary God. Lord, I pray for the lessons that we learned from Abram's life today. Lord, I pray that we'd be a group of people that make wise, generous, gracious decisions. Lord, your word says in the book of James that if we lack wisdom, we can simply ask and you will give it to us, showing no favoritism. And so today, we ask individually for wisdom in our lives, to make decisions that would be wise, that would honour you. Lord, we ask for it as a church as well, as we come to a members meeting today, as we come to an AGM in a few weeks. We pray the same thing. Lord God, we ask for your God-given wisdom in every decision that we make. Lord, we know that our decisions will determine our future. And 10 years down the track, we want to be loving you and serving you even greater than we are right now. And so I pray that we would make decisions right now that would lead us towards that end. Lord, I thank you for the other things we learnt in the passage today, the three lessons. Lord, I thank you that um, we can be people who express forgiveness. Lord, I pray today that you would highlight people in our own lives who perhaps we're holding a grudge with, or maybe we've said we've forgiven them with our words, but not with our hearts. Lord, we know it's difficult. We know that there are many people that don't deserve it. But Lord, we ask for the Holy Spirit's help to help us forgive and to not only understand the gospel as head knowledge, but to live it out with our actions in a way that is powerful and a way that will lift you up higher in this region and to the people in our lives. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to remember that you're faithful all the time. Lord, we're sorry for the times that we doubt. We know they're more regular than they should be. But Lord, I pray that we would look up at the stars and just remember how incredibly big you are. You're a God that created all things, who can do all things. And so, Lord, I pray that we continue to trust in you in all that we do. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.